1: Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's show, we brought on a special guest, Johnny Wolf. Johnny's the CEO and founder of Homeroom, which is one of the fastest growing co-living companies in the United States.
2: Johnny, welcome to the show. Hey Mark, really happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So I'm excited for today's topic. I on the podcast, I've had a, a lot, covered a lot of different areas of real estate, um, but we've never covered Uh, co-living. So maybe if you can start us off, just tell us what co-living is and how did you come to start Homeroom?
2: Sure. Um, So co-living is, you know, two or more unrelated people. Typically it has a service layer, so it's not just roommates living in an apartment, but usually furnished common areas, uh, roommate matching, amenities, packages of some kind, including um, maid and yard care. Community is a big focus as well. So sort of like an A-class apartment building where they have a lot of events, Co-living companies have provide that to um, their tenants as well. And what HomeRoom's you know, unique wrinkle was, we're in multiple cities, so you can actually transfer cities pretty seamlessly with the push of a button in our app. And we have our own software technology we've layered over the top got to kind of make the experience even more fine-tuned and kind of perfected for tenants.
1: So is, is the experience really mainly for the, on the tenant side of them finding a co-living, uh, the ability to find a co-living-friendly uh Property, or is it also on the uh, property owner or the landlord side of managing a, a co-living arrangement?
2: The co-living itself is kind of talks about the tenants, but the reason that the investor and the property manager or whoever or uh, fund or whoever is investing that type of form factor is doing is because you get more rent per square foot. So that's the big side, the big attraction for you know Deer Park invested seventy five million. In Bungalow who's doing co-living, you know, throughout these tier one cities. So it's really for for the investor, there's not much of a different experience than a standard single family rental. You buy the property, you do some work, and then usually your co-living operator will manage it, um, but you're going to get a higher return. So that's, that's really, the, there's not much difference for the investor side.
1: Mm-hmm. And what about on the tenant side? Um, what do they have to consider? And I guess maybe to even take a step back, when someone goes into a, a co living property, what percentage of the, of the times do they actually know the other people? Do they previously know the other people that they're living with, versus it's a complete stranger that they're they're living with?
2: Yeah, it's it's typically none of them know each other. We do occasionally have groups that'll move into one of our residences, and but we use you know we use various ways of. Making sure compatibility exists before people move in. So we're working on a roommate matching machine learning algorithm to kind of perfect that on a, from a data science standpoint. But you know, in the meantime, we've been doing roommate video calls where people can meet and talk to their future roommates, make sure it's a good fit. So those are kind of a couple of different ways we do it. We also do kind of the standard background credit check to make sure you have a high quality kind of citizen to the world mm-hmm. that's moving into co living space. We think that. Typically, people living in co living should be a. They need to be responsible and kind of thoughtful of others.
1: And how does it work? From uh, let's say I am looking to invest in and in, in purchase a, a property that I want to make you know use of for co living. What service does Homeroom provide? Do I come to Homeroom with a property and say I'd like to put this under your umbrella, or do I have to go through Homeroom to purchase a property that would fit under you know your your umbrella, or is it some combination of, of both of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, it's both actually. That's the plain answer. We focus a lot on helping investors buy these homes um, because then we can select the form factor that's ideal. But we also have a number of people that you know reach out to us. They have homes. They want to deploy this model on their property and make a bit more rent.
1: And so what does Home Room do? Do you actually manage the entire process, including like actually renting it, the tenants? Do you... I guess just inherently get involved in or how do you not get involved in playing referee sometimes with, uh, you know, some, I guess, conflicts that that would go on in in the property with with strangers who are, you know, renting together?
2: Um, Yeah, we manage the entire process from, you know, property selection to deal underwriting to purchase to property kind of setup and maybe even some rehab. We have vendors kind of locally in every city to, to handle those that for us. In terms of roommate dynamics, we actually surprisingly have much fewer issues than most people would think. Um, Generally, people get along, and we found that one eleven roommate houses. You know, believe it or not, Um, we do have you know an escalation if there are problems. Uh, We actually have like a a therapist on retainer in case people need to discuss issues if it gets really escalated. But yeah, in terms of like really big uh, roommate tensions and blowups, like that happens surprisingly rarely.
1: Is there a specific type of? I know you mentioned, you know, it could be either way. A um, uh, landlord or owner comes to you with a property or vice versa, you help someone purchase it. Are there differences in terms of, like, let's take this, the simple, simple single family house where some features of it would make it better for a co living arrangement than, than if it wasn't?
2: Generally, we find that if you perfect the space and perfect the environment, you find that it's just a better experience both for the investor and for the tenant, right? And so that means that people are gonna stay longer. And so the, the returns to the investor are more robust, right? You don't have turnover, you don't have to worry about vacancy, all that. But then on the tenant side, if, if the space is perfected, they're happier, right? And so we have fewer issues that get escalated. Um, and so that's move, removing tensions for tenants. Like we have main service so that if there's dishes in the sink, they'll get those get picked up and cleaned up. Uh, we grade the house for cleanliness we have just little little details throughout the experience that fine tune it for roommates making them happier and that turns around and yields more money to the investors
1: and on the roommate side how is it structured via everyone doesn't fall under the same lease is it structured everyone has a separate lease
2: yep everyone has their own private lease to, with homeroom
1: and is it the same as like a regular like you typically like a 12 month lease or are the, are the terms structured any differently than if someone went out and rented a full a full property
2: We have a, we have a custom member agreement. We actually call it a member agreement, not a lease, because you can actually transfer between properties seamlessly. Typically people do sign for 12 months, but we do as short as three months. We're pretty flexible on how that works.
1: And When you say transfer among property, like I can, like HomeRoom has like a directory of properties with openings and in uh, city to city, and I can say, all right, I'm in, I'm in here, and I'd rather be somewhere else. And if there is a spot that I can find, I'm able to transfer over to that to that other property.
2: Correct. Yeah, you can move from Kansas City to Austin tomorrow.
1: How many cities are his HomeRoom currently currently in?
2: We're in thirty five and counting.
1: Okay. How? So what what goes into your you know, process in terms of adding a new city to, to the list?
2: Yeah, we look at a variety of different factors. Um, me and my co-founder, and Mike, both have a, he, he's more on the data science side and I'm more on the fi- the financial modeling analytics side. But we both are, have worked in the Silicon Valley for a good amount of time looking at data. And so that's one of the biggest foundational things we look at. One of the things we, we discovered pretty early is that if you want to create a change in the way people live, it, there needs to be a lot of movement. And openness to change. So cities with a lot of migration and growth typically work really well for co-living. And that doesn't have to be San Francisco. That can be Dallas, right? Dallas has been phenomenal for us. Kansas City has been really strong for co-living. So as long as there's some movement and people coming in and out of the city, it increases kind of the, the total demand. Um, in addition to that, we're looking at economic fundamentals. It's really important to make sure that when investors buy, they're they're buying a great model that can pretty much work anywhere, but also a good city that can like maximize their upside over time.
1: What, is, what are you seeing in the typical, in terms of age groups? I, I would imagine younger person is, is more apt to co-living.
2: Our average age is 31, but that's actually been going up. A couple of years ago, it was 28.
1: Do you see that trending that way, um, where it's going to become more and more accepted you know, as people are getting older?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I think we're just seeing marriages be delayed. And I think housing affordability is a crisis across all age demographics. And so we really do think this is probably one of the the bigger... Kind of solutions to that,
1: and how have you seen over the past like two years with COVID? Have you seen kind of a mindset change where people maybe don't want the co-living arrangement because they want space or, or some separation, or have you seen no impact?
2: That's a it's a question we get a lot. And what COVID did to to moving is that it everyone stopped moving essentially, right? So no one was moving anywhere. So if you had a lot of housing inventory, it was a really tough time to have it, especially shared housing inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, we had zero vacancy at the time. So no one left, no one joined uh, for like four months. But then after that, it kind of got back to normal because our demographic is quite a bit younger. So it affected them, I think, less than than average. We grew 300% this year. So we've been growing faster than ever, actually, during the pandemic. Um just because the the need for housing and the need for community is stronger than kind of the the negative forces of COVID.
1: What do you see as the like the makeup of these these houses in terms of number of people that that makes sense? And is it if it's four bedrooms, it's four people, or do you see like multiple people in, in a bedroom, or how do, how does it usually structured inside the actual house?
2: Each person gets their own bedroom. And a lot of times we'll add bedroom walls to different properties to increase the number of roommates that can live there. We're we're super mindful. We we want it to be the perfected shared living experience for the tenant side. So that, that means when we add bedrooms, we do it in a way that's elegant, fits with the floor plan. And then we'll extend the stay of everyone there because by adding more bedrooms, we can actually charge everyone less in rent. Uh, but the house still has to support the new amount of people. And that includes parking, that includes number of bathrooms, everything like that. Have to be you know be very careful and thoughtful about how we do that.
1: Do the existing roommates in a house? Do they get involved in any of the decisions in terms of new roommates that are that are coming in, or is it strictly up to homeroom to kind of vet that out and and place roommates wherever they feel it's it's a it's a good fit?
2: um They are involved, so they get they get a window of time to do a video interview with the new roommate, and so they can get to know them a little bit. And you know they can say, hey, this person made me uncomfortable. I don't think they'd be a good fit here. Yeah. And so they, they also will receive some, a little, some background information about the person, you know, to, so they can under get to know them a little bit. So yeah, they're definitely involved. Um, it's one of those things we have to balance burst versus like speed because people are in this type of living and typically want to move pretty quickly and they don't want to wait for roommates to get back to it. So we're, we're working on trying to get that faster and faster, um, and balancing that with roommate feedback.
1: Mm-hmm. Thinking about it from the from the investor side of it, properties that uh, have co living, how are they in terms of maintenance and capital expenditures compared to maybe a, just a regular property that has a family inside it? Is it the same? Less? It seems like it might be less wear and tear, or more.
2: I think it's probably about the same or a little less um, in terms of versus a standard single family rental. That's another question we get pretty frequently because you think like six young adults drinking out of kegs, you know, destroying the neighborhood. Our average age is thirty-one. Most people aren't. There's not keg parties happening at our at our houses, right? And when you have young adults like kind of they're all around, they're all aware of their surroundings. They, they identify things faster. And so it, a lot of maintenance issues, you can prevent it from getting really bad if you have aware people like a two-year-old not going to know that the roof is leaking in their room necessarily. Right. And so we're able to catch stuff quicker. So that that lowers the damages. Um, we don't do pets. We don't have children, which I think are the two most destructive things on the planet for a property. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that we're as good as like, A 26-year-old engineer that lives alone probably be your best tenant, especially if they can do a little bit of their own maintenance. But um, I wouldn't say we're too far behind that, and we're much better than a family with four kids, probably, and two pets Mm -hmm. in terms of wear and tear on the property.
1: Are you seeing like the typical co-living renter, someone that they sleep in their room, in their their house, um, yet they're out at work, they're doing their socializing outside um, you know, maybe they're going to the gym, but and then they come back at, at night. Or do you see people spending a lot of time actually in the in the property?
2: I mean, I lived in our first ever COVID house for three years in Prairie Village. You know, for the first two years or during COVID, everyone spent all their time at home. But before that, I think, you know, when people went to work, yeah, most people were going to work at social lives. Right. It's not like people are hosting office meetings at the house. So busy young adults, maybe they go to their girlfriend's place. It's just There were times before COVID where I'd see a room. I wouldn't see a roommate for like a week because everyone's like doing their thing. So I I think it's um yeah that's that's a good question.
1: On the data side, how long do people stay under that co living umbrella? Even if it's from multiple properties, what have you seen in terms of trend? Is it like three years and then they kind of start a family or they go out somewhere else where they want their more personal space?
2: Can answer that in a couple ways. One is on average, people stay a bit longer than a year with us. And that's one of the better in the industry, but it's for us is trending upwards. I mean, we do have some tenants that have been with us for the whole time our company has been in business, which is like a bit over three years. Beyond that, I don't know because that's how old we are. Right. So we're getting more data every day. There is, I believe, it's thirty three percent of nineteen to twenty nine year olds are living with roommates today. So there's, it's not like people are living in this life phase for two or three years. It's now become like a ten year. Maybe a two-decade thing where people in their 30s live with roommates still.
1: And you think that's people are delaying marriages, delaying starting families? Any other reasons why you think that this trend is growing?
2: There's so many kind of core drivers. We have 60 million people living with roommates and their parents today, which is like both of those are all-time highs on both sides. And housing affordability is a pretty massive driver, right? So you've you've got somebody graduating at 22, they have 150000 in student debt. They get a job for forty thousand because wages are stagnant. They don't want to get married right away to, to double the household income because their parents divorced when they were thirteen and it was terrible. So the big economic drivers of wealth creation for the millennials: getting married young, so they have two incomes per household, and buying a house are both been like kind of pulled out from underneath the millennial generation. So their coping mechanism has really been to go into roommate situations. You pay fifty percent on rent. The communal aspect of having a marriage and a family now you get from your roommates. The reason like a show like Friends was so universally beloved is like it's this kind of the new way of living for this whole generation is to kind of create your own adult family after college because that's going to last you ten years, twenty years, and no one really wants to live alone for that long, right? Right. So we talked
1: a little bit about on the on the investor side, basically purchasing a home, whether it's the, by themselves or through homeroom. But I think you also have a way that an investor can get involved from a more passive approach through a through a fund. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, we have a we have a syndicate um, a syndicated fund through a registered investment advisor partner. Um, that's for accredited investors only. Yeah, so you can invest you know fifty to one hundred thousand dollars. That money will go into the fund. The fund will buy the property and own the properties. So it's just a different way of doing it, different way to kind of deploy your capital into into co living, which I think, frankly, is in my opinion, like. It's the big opportunity in real estate over the next three years is is kind of this direction. I think you know before you know maybe the last five years been vacation rentals. I think it would have been the biggest ROI opportunities because you can always find the most upside and opportunity in like kind of the new thing that's creating new value versus kind of redoing the kind of the, the same thing over and over again.
1: Is it all, all single families or is there ever multifamilies or apartments where you're kind of creating like a mass co living structure at scale?
2: There's companies that do the massive co living kind of option. Common out of New York, WeWork had something called We Live for a while. But there's a number of these players that do apartment based, massive kind of ground up co living developments. I've always personally been a single family investor, and so focusing on this made a lot of sense to me. I love having a yard. I love having you know some space. I love having neighbors and a paper boy delivered right to my door. You know all that stuff. So. That's what we do, and I don't know if we'll transition to apartments anytime soon.
1: And then as far as from you starting the company, and I know you mentioned you were in the first co-living space, but was co-living something that you were doing and then kind of just got the idea that, wow, maybe this actually would make a a company? Or did you kind of get the idea and then just say, you know what, I'm going to try this out as I'm building the company?
2: Yeah. The the origin story for the company is it kind of developed slowly, but I'll go through it pretty quickly. I graduated college and I lived with roommates, you know, in in the Bay Area from 2018 to 2015, or sorry, 2008 to 2015, my mistake. And I was also investing out of state in real estate that entire period. And while we were able to find roommates on Craigslist and Facebook and it worked, what we were doing was creating kind of a microculture of roommate housing that we thought was perfected, right? We had a chore wheel that we rotated. We had a maid service. We, We did a lot of things that made it work for us. And a lot of the core concepts of what homeroom has become is seeing like how roommate situations work and don't work for myself personally. So I moved to Austin, Texas in 2015 and to invest in real estate. And I decided to do roommate housing because that's what I knew. And that's what I had kind of experienced for the last seven years. And I and I wanted to live in those houses because I love living with roommates. So my returns on that portfolio were over 500% annualized. Because by renting out the rooms, I was able to get like 75% more rent than renting to a family. You know, as a finance guy, I'm looking at these numbers. I'm like, why don't I just do this a million times? But I, I didn't really want to buy a lot of real estate. I wanted to create a platform where other people could could do this. And I knew it was a huge need for the, the renter side. And I understood why it was good for the investor side. So that's that's why I started Homeroom you know, in 2018, you know, created this option. Uh, yeah.
1: You mentioned about you know, being able to collect more rent under a, a co-living arrangement rather than if you rented it to a, to just a family, is that still hold true today or have you seen shifts in, in, in that?
2: With the right form factor, you can still make over a hundred percent more. You can make a hundred percent more on rent. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it's really about dollars per square foot. And so the right property with enough rooms will, is always going to get you more than rent you a single family.
1: What's uh, what's next for homeroom? I know you're adding cities, uh, anything to the platform, or anything you're specific doing on either the owner or the tenant side uh, as far as next.
2: We have a, we have a lot of a lot of plans. Um, the most recent was launching the syndicate fund the co living fund. We launched that last month. We're adding three markets over a ninety day period. We just we launched Indianapolis and Pittsburgh, uh, we're launching Tampa next. In the future, we'd like to be in every city in the United States with this co-living product. And we'd like to offer property management services to single-family home investors as well. So we really want to increase our form factor footprint as well as kind of our geographic reach.
1: And when you say add uh, property management services to single-family homes, is that homes that are single-family co-living or even outside of co-living?
2: Yeah, we're going to be offering it to non-co-living homes.
1: And then you mentioned the syndicate. Is that your... You're raising funds for it, and as funds are raised, you're going out and you know if properties make sense to purchase. The fund is actually going out, you know, purchasing the property and then getting it under the homeroom management umbrella in in terms of servicing going
2: forwards. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's that's really how it will work. We have some capital there. We're going to be looking to play p- pretty soon, but um, continuing to to raise into the fund going forward.
1: Well, we're just about out of time, Johnny. I'd like to thank you for being on the show. You provided some great info into a type of real estate investing that a lot of people don't think about. How best can someone reach out to you, find out more about Homeroom?
2: Sure. So livehomeroom.com is our website. You can go on there, uh, take a spin around, look at it on the investor side is forward slash invest. And you can schedule a call with a member of my team with a click of a couple buttons um, right on that page. In terms of reaching me, it's Johnny at com. I try to respond to all my emails every day. Feel free to hit me up anytime.
1: Awesome. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And thank you again. And thank you everyone for tuning in today.
0: Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of his financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.